If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of John, John chapter 8, for this incredible story. Do you love the song we just sang? Jesus, friend of sinners. Good news for someone like me. Uh, One thing I know, the mirror reminds me every time I look in it, that's who I am. Uh, Someone who's broken, someone who's fallen short of God's perfection. And it's such good news to know that Jesus doesn't despise us because of our sinfulness. And yet, more than that, not just doesn't despise us, but he is a savior who loves us. He loves sinners. He's called a friend of sinners. Love the reality that Jesus was comfortable hanging out with the likes of us. He was comfortable hanging out with folks who uh, didn't have the greatest reputation. Uh, Matter of fact, he was even willing to associate with those who would mar his reputation. And he would be called not just a friend of sinners, he'd be called a drunk, he'd be called a glutton because of who he hung out with. The reality about Jesus is this, no one has ever loved sinners more. The reality of Jesus is this, that no one ever or ever will has loved sinners more than Jesus. What I love about him is he he never really uh, was there to make them feel less than human. The amazing way of Jesus is to show dignity to the vilest of sinners. No matter what their actions were doing, you know that Jesus saw the image of his father reflecting in them. And because of that, uh, really amazingly was able to sit and act and love them no matter how they were acting. And yet, we also must know, Jesus never accepted sinful behavior. I mean, Jesus came to to, uh, not only rescue us, but to show us how we're to live before the Father. He's to show us what a God uh, vacuum, a God life looks like, a God lifestyle, I should say. And here's the reality. No one ever hated sin more. No one ever hated sin more than Jesus. I mean, he sweat blood realizing that he'd have to become our sin. He hated it because of what it did to us and what it did to our, the image that we are. He hated it because of what it did to us and separated us from the Father. He hated sin. And so amazingly you have in this one Savior, uh, one who loves sinners and never tolerated sin. Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus, holy one of God. So the question we want to know is is. How do we as followers of Christ, those of us who are his, how are we to respond to, to sin? How are we to react to sinners? How should our life reflect what Christ has done for us? So let's look at this familiar passage in the Gospel of John. John 8, 1 through 11. Let's be mindful we're reading God's inerrant, infallible word. John 8, verse 1. But when Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. I mean, the Greek there wants us to know that was actually in the act. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down 
and wrote with his finger on the ground, the only recorded communication and writing of our Savior. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, friend of sinners, come and be with us. Come and be with us in such a powerful way through the preaching of your word that you give us ears to hear your voice, that you give us minds to understand your word, that you give us hearts that that beat for you and believe in you, and that you come and be with us, that you would empower our feet to walk in a manner worthy of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, the things that I say this morning that are either wrong or that are just my opinion, I ask that those things would be forgotten and fall away quickly. But God, through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, the things that I say that contain the good news of the gospel, use those things to transform every life, to become more like our Savior to become more like the men and women and children that you intend us to be as your family, as your redeemed ones. Father, come and receive glory and give us joy through the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. You see this uh, story, it's an interesting story on many levels. The first thing we got to see is this, is these scribes, these religious folks, And these Pharisees, they come to Jesus, Uh, he's in the temple, uh, and they come to him to trick him. They come to him to trick him, they they use a pawn, they use a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, and they use her to come and and test him. So the question we might want to ask is, what kind of test is this? What what is actually happening here? Well, they really try to get Jesus uh, cornered in a dilemma uh, that either way he chose he would be in trouble. He said, they brought to him this woman and they said, okay, the law of Moses says for someone caught in adultery like this, we're to stone her. Uh, So what do you say? Had Jesus said, you're right, let's drag her out and start throwing stones at her. uh, He would have really broken Roman law. The Romans at the time were not going to let them uh, crucify their own. That's why the the Jewish leaders brought uh, Jesus to Pilate. And so had he said, let's go stone this sinner, they would have turned on him and said, let's go to Rome. Let's make sure that they arrest this man because he's breaking the law. But if he says, let's just let her go, then they'll say, oh, got you on that one because you now are not breaking the Roman law, you're breaking Moses' law. And so you see, they're they're trying to trick him. They're trying to to get him to, uh, in one way or the other, either way he turns, that's what they were trying to do. Talk about slimes, huh? 
That's what they're trying to do is try to expose him. They just wonder what he was writing in the ground. They just wonder. I mean, you know that they were watching. You know that the Holy Spirit used that to start searing their own hearts. And yet, they realize they can't trick Jesus. It's interesting. They, they target a woman that caught in adultery. Uh, why a woman? We're going to talk a little bit more about this. But the bottom line is this that we have to see when we look at stories is like, like this. They missed their own sinful hearts. They missed the own reality of, of how they should have reacted in response to Jesus. They missed their own sinfulness, their own plank in their own eyes, seeing the sin of others. The first thing, if you want to follow along in the bulletin, I got three things to say about this story. The first one is this, targeting sinners. Targeting sinners. Uh, I saw a bumper sticker recently, fight crime, abolish the IRS. <laughs> you know, our IRS uh, recently was, uh, got in trouble. They apologized for targeting uh, inappropriate uh, folks uh, in a tea party. It led to the resignation of their commissioner. As a matter of fact, when it comes to targeting certain people, our own president on that act said this. He says, I'm very angry at it. Everyone uh, believes what happened is an outrage. Targeting certain individuals is a cause for outrage, according to our president. But more importantly, it's according to God's word, according to the reality of the gospel. We see that we live in a world that targets racially certain individuals, targets genders and certain individuals. And they try to use this target to trap Jesus. The woman who was caught in adultery in John 8 is pretty specific. It was, they want to make sure that we didn't hear a rumor. We didn't hear about this. It is not her reputation that this was actually red-handed. Uh, this was something that uh, she clearly has done. But doesn't it take two to tango? Where's the man? I mean, come on, really? There's two and yet you bring One? I mean, can you not start to sense the bigotry? Can you not start to sense the injustice? I mean, really, uh, why, why let the guy go? Uh, why just grab her and drag her and, and publicly humiliate her? Who were they to pass judgment on her and then excuse him? I mean, you can already see the absolute hypocrisy that's going on here. They're trying to trick Jesus. And not only that, they're just completely obliterating justice. If they were caught red-handed, there's two. Why does one emerge? We've got to be careful judging which sinners are worthy of judgment. We've got to be careful judging which sinners are worthy of judgment. It seems like that's the time we live right now. Judging those who really deserve uh, to be ridiculed or God's wrath and those who are let go. Anytime we as believers target sinners and target certain groups, we miss our own hearts. I got to tell you, it pains me to hear even those closest to me that will target certain sins in our society with, with such venom, with, with such anger, uh, with such hatred, and then completely miss some other sins. And that's the reality of where we live in right now. There's certain things that, listen, all sin is repugnant to God. I don't say that, Scripture doesn't say that all sins are equal. They're not. 
All sins equally separate us from God. All sins deserve God's wrath. uh, And all sins deserve us being separated from God. But the reality is, is in the Old Testament, he says some sins deserve a certain penalty and some others. It's certainly not the same speeding down I-4 than it is taking your neighbor's life. But we got to be very careful the way we judge others. Especially as Christians. I think the bottom line is we got to see our sins first and foremost, not their just sins. We just can't pick and choose what in God's word to accept. What in God's word to reject. This is all God's word. I was speaking with a 20-something Christian recently, and she said, you know, in my generation, we were taught ever since birth to accept everything and love everyone. And that really, to have any kind of discernment, to have any kind of judging, or any kind of judging of lifestyle is wrong. And the reality is, is this 20-something was wrestling with what does God's word say when it comes to this, and what is God calling us to do? The first thing we saw is it's wrong to target sinners. The second thing is this. Who are the qualified stone throwers? Who are the qualified stone throwers? We live in a time, I mean, I never heard it more, that we're not to judge others. We live in a time that says that any kind of judging is wrong. As a matter of fact, uh, they'll often use scripture text to say we shouldn't judge. They'll say we're to live and let live. And then point to uh, some part of Matthew 7 to prove their point and their statement. So let's look to Matthew. What does it really mean? Are we to be those who follow Jesus, who no matter what someone's lifestyle is, should we just be silent? What does it mean not to judge others? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 7. We're going to join Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. It says this, judge not that you be not judged for here's the point for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is really telling us that it's not calling us never to judge. God's word is telling us how we are to judge. What is the posture of judging lifestyles? What's the posture of trying to figure out what is right and wrong before God? And here's the reality. God's word says the only people who are qualified to look and make assessments on others are those who realize their own brokenness, those who realize their own sinfulness, those who realize their own need for a savior. We cannot start by looking at a sinful world out there and start ridiculing them before we start looking in here and realizing the filth and the depravity in our own lives. That we ask God for his forgiveness and the reality of how separated we are from him. We take the plank out of our own eye before we look at our brothers or our sisters. And then we speak the truth in love. Somehow the church has been bamboozled that we should be mute when it comes to lifestyles and behaviors outside of what God has 
blessed and said for us to live in a way that brings him glory. Somehow they want to muzzle us Christians and say that we don't have the right to to speak into these issues. My brothers and sisters, we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb to speak truth and love. That is how we are to live our lives. We are the ones who are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and take away any muzzle the world gives to us. So the question is not that should we not judge other lifestyles? The reality is, is how we do it. How do we do it? Do we do it on our knees humbly? Do we do it on our knees realizing that we too are broken sinners, but by the grace of God, there we go. But we live in a world that desperately needs to have truth spoken in love. Galatians 6.1 says it this way. This is such a beautiful uh, uh, proof text for how we are to be as Christians. It says this, Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, If anyone is caught in any transgression, I mean, this is perfect for the test case we have in front of us because this woman was literally caught. And so now we say, we hear this text. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual and basically, basically saying this, you who by God's grace through faith have Christ in your life, have the Holy Spirit in your life, you who are spiritual should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Interestingly, our goal is restoration. The spirit is a gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too. Again, those caught in transgressions, first of all, it says this, be gentle. Be gentle. How is a church done with that one? I mean, let's just be honest. How how have we done when we catch those in transgressions? Is gentleness the way we lead? Is is the way that we proceed uh, with sinners filled with the spirit and the love of Jesus and gentleness? No, we usually get it all wrong. We lead with anger. We lead with judgment. We lead, lead with pickets and signs and stones. According to the gospel, It's not worth it. You lead with gentleness. I think the reality of just looking at Galatians 6 1 should cause us to say, God, where do we need to repent? Let me ask you, where do you need to repent? Where are you just not gentle when it comes to other sins? What about your children? What about your spouse? Where are you just not gentle? And listen, it doesn't mean being a wimp. But Scripture is saying that we are to engage, speak truth and love. But we do it with a certain spirit. And the way, listen, and here's the reality. It's the way Jesus deals with us, friend of sinners deals with us, gently. He is the good shepherd of the sheep. He tenderly cares for us. Isn't it great to know he's just not beating us over the head time and time again saying, you, you dumb sheep, you just don't get it. And yet we have one with pierced hands who keeps on saying to the broken like you and me, come, come, come and let me deal with you. Let me love you. Let me mend you. Let me lead you to, to some cool water gently. Where do we need to repent for the lack of gentleness? Be watchful. As we enter into situations and we're called to, uh, to address sin, it says be watchful unless you f- also be tempted and fall. 
And how, how many times have we seen the news when someone who's supposed to be protecting those who are child abusers becomes a child abuser? Of those who are supposed to be filtering the things on the internet become someone addicted to the things on the internet. Those who are supposed to be the, the, the gatekeepers. Be watchful. Be watchful. I think that uh, the beauty of scripture is that God gives us stories of guys like David. I mean, David had an amazing heart for God. I mean, a warrior for God who fought giants and he, he wrestled with his bare hands, lions. An amazing poet for God. Someone that says he's got a heart after God. And I look at the life of David. And I realize this man of God was an adulterer and he was a murderer. And if King David was able to do that kind of sin, who am I to think that that's not capable, that I'm not capable of such terrible sin? Be watchful. Be watchful. Be on your guard, especially when you're dealing with the broken and sinful because we are so prone to wander. But the goal always is restoration. Living as God intended us to live. That's the beauty. I mean, so why is God calling us to to tell those who are caught in sinful transgressions? It's because the goal is to point them to the way that they are supposed to live for God's glory. That's life and life abundantly. My mom always told me this. She would quote Numbers 32, 23. I tell you, it's one of the greatest tricks moms have. She would say, Jeffrey, your sins will find you out. Oh, crud. My sins will find me out. I just was haunted with that. I mean, it was just kind of hung over me in my whole childhood. And I, and I hope in some kind of redemptive way. But no matter where I was or what I was doing, I could kind of hear, Jeffrey, your sins are going to find you out. And a lot of times they did. You see, I, I think that the reality of the gospel is more beautiful than just the fear of a God with a big stick. Here's the way that I believe that God... Uh, deals with us. Anybody I'm dealing with caught in sins like adultery, when the the brokenness of that family is sitting in front of me, these words will come from my mouth. You know that God loves you too much to let this sin stay under the surface. Do you know that God loves you way too much to have you live your life in open rebellion toward God? He loves you too much. He's going to bring this to the surface. And it may feel horrible right now. But you got to know, this is God's severe mercy in your life. Because God wants you to live life abundantly before him. He wants you to live with freedom and joy, and you're not there. And the reality is, it's, and, and I, I get a little graphic, it's kind of like that wound that, that has pus in it. I mean, he's just going to squeeze until the infection gets out. It's God's love. Let me just tell you, it's true. I don't know what works better for you. Jeffrey, your sins will find you out. Or God loves you too much. He just Listen, he loves you too much. He's going to drive it to the surface. The goal is to live as God intended for us to live. That's restoration. The goal is for our marriages 
to be the marriages reflect his love for us. The goal is for our families to have families that honor him. The goal is that our lifestyles are in accord with him. Because listen, that's where we find joy and peace and grace and life abundantly. Thirdly, the gospel's power to neither condemn sinners nor condone sin. This gospel is amazing. It does two amazing things. It doesn't condemn sinners, nor does it condone sin. I want to take you to one more passage. Uh, Romans 8, 1. Romans 8, 1 says this. Listen to these beautiful, incredible words. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus those who by God's grace have placed their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, according to God's word, there is no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus by his grace. And then Paul elaborates in verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The amazing gospel, the power to not condemn sinners. But don't you think for a minute we're not guilty. I mean, Romans 3.23 makes it clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All have sinned, all deserve God's wrath. But the good news of the gospel is this, is the gospel declares us, listen to this, the gospel declares us not guilty without obliterating God's holiness. How in the world can the gospel declare us sinners not guilty without obliterating God's holiness? Thank you, Jesus. Nothing can ever condemn us. Why? Because God in his word is satisfied with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. Do you know that God and his law is completely satisfied because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God took his son who knew no sin to become our sin so that in Christ Jesus we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, leading to this, you know what that means? If you, by God's grace and faith, are a child of the king, listen, we owe nothing to God's law. Nothing. We owe nothing to God's law. It's been completely fulfilled for us. 
The demands have been met. We owe nothing to God's law. We owe everything to God's grace. We owe everything to God's grace. Everything. But by the grace of God. Are we his children? But by the work of his son. But by the filling of the Holy Spirit. The reality of the gospel is so amazingly beautiful. That we owe nothing to the law. And everything to his grace. What a savior. But for those of us. We got to realize who are his we have been called we have been predestined chosen to be what holy and blameless in his sight god has called us to himself for us to now live a certain lifestyle listen to ephesians 1 3 and 4 it says this blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who has blessed us in christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Man, it's basically saying all the blessings of God are ours in Christ Jesus. All of them. He chose us before time began to be his. And he says this, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When that adulterer woman was caught in sin and she said, no one, Lord, in her confession of faith, acknowledging who Jesus was, No one, Lord, I am not being condemned by anyone. He said to her, go and sin no more. Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And Jesus hates sin. He hated what it was doing to this woman. I mean, he hated the dignity being robbed. He he hated the life being sucked out. He hated her drinking from a broken cistern. He hated the false God that that she was worshiping. He hated it. He, He had made her for something so much more. He loved her for so much more. And because of that, he said to her the most gracious words. Listen, the most gracious words God could say to us is go and sin no more. He's not trying to keep us from something that's giving us life. He's trying to keep us from things that are taking away our life. He's trying to keep us from those toxic cisterns that we continually go and drink from. Here's the reality. God has radically changed our standing in Christ Jesus. God has radically changed our standing in Christ Jesus. Now we are to radically change our behavior. Christianity and the gospel is so amazing. It's not this shape up. Do the right thing so your standing can change and God can love and accept you. That's not Christianity. The amazing thing of the gospel is this. Our standing has forever been changed through the work of Christ Jesus. Forever changed by God's grace through faith. Now live your life out of that reality of that change. That new creation of who you are in Christ Jesus. Now go and sin no more. Why? Because you have been declared not guilty before a holy God. What an amazing, gracious God. Our lifestyles matter as a response to what he has done for us. Good news as we close. The gospel of Jesus Christ targets sinners. The gospel of Jesus Christ targets sinners. Targets sinners with love and the grace of God. 
Before time began, God the Father targeted certain sinners and said, those are the one I'm going to set a particular love and grace upon his elect, his family. Jesus came down and he targeted certain sheep, sinners that he called his own. He says, they're going to know my voice and I know them by name because God targets sinners. The Holy Spirit targets our hearts. He targets our hearts and gives us hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone, hearts that believe in him. What an amazing, gracious God. What do you think Jesus wrote in the sand? What do you think he did when he just bent down? I just in the middle of that, just wrote in the sand. You know, whatever it was that caused the scribes and the Pharisees to drop their stones, starting with the oldest to the youngest, one by one. And walk away. See, Jesus writes on our hearts the story of his life and the story of his love. He writes on our hearts so that we can know the amazing love and forgiveness of God. And now the finger that he chooses to write with, you ready for this, is your life and mine. Your life and mine that's been set free. That the world can stop and wonder of God who's a friend of sinners. A God who's a holy God. Who declares that we are not guilty because of the work of Christ. By his grace and through faith. And now wants to use our lives to tell his story of love and redemption. What an amazing Savior. Let us pray. Jesus, you're better and greater than words can describe. And as passionately as I preach the good news of Christ, I know that it's not even clear enough because of how glorious you are. So Holy Spirit, come and press upon our hearts the truth that we just heard. God, if there's anyone here there's anyone here that's in, in open sin. Maybe it's covered everybody else but you. God, I thank you that you're going to love them enough to drive that sin to the surface. And Father, I thank you that you're a father who runs to the sinners and that you are our friend. And because you're our friend, you speak truth and love into our hearts. Thank you for being gentle. Uh, thank you that your goal is reconciliation. And God, I, I pray for this church that we would be those who speak truth and love. That we'd repent of those things that we're not gentle about. And we repent about the, the log in our own eyes and the speck that we see in others. That we wouldn't target certain sins or certain sinners. But more than anything, God, I pray that the gospel, the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ would truly change our lives so that we could live a life worthy of our King. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.